Okay, so today we begin session two, uh, Shinjin Mei, Trust in Mind, Seng Tsang's uh, poem. Uh, we, uh, last week we, we covered the first, second lines, which was, uh, I thought was great and was deep. And uh, so we're going to keep going in that same manner, same pace. Um, I'll open it up, I'll speak a little bit about it, uh, and then we're going to uh, see where we're at with it as we move forward. So, the slightest distinction results in a difference as great as heaven and earth. For the way to manifest, hold not to likes and dislikes. And then this is uh, Dan and Jordan even the slightest personal preference and your whole world becomes deluded. Even the slightest personal preference and your whole world becomes deluded. To perceive reality as it is, is to live with an open mind. To live with an open mind. Now Musong, I'm going to quote from uh, his book, Remaining trapped in the world of preferences, we are led to an, expect, an expectation of how things should be. When our expectation of how things should be conflict with how things are, there is dukkha, there is suffering, which is really what we're talking about in terms of alignment or misalignment. Dynamically merging with reality has everything to do with that. Not merged, we produce dukkha. When we are merged, we are in alignment, then the inner and the outer, above, below, everything is unified. Everything flows much better. Then he says, in our likes and dislikes, we want to control things. And in, and in that preference to control things, heaven and earth, heaven, quote unquote, earth, quote unquote, get separated. In Chinese linguistic usages, heaven and earth are metaphors for the higher, whatever that may be in Chinese understanding, higher realm, and the realm of the mundane earthy life. For the Chinese, the purpose of existence is to create harmony between these two realms, even though in reality there is only one realm. Heaven and earth are also metaphors for all opposing dualities that create tension, stress, ill will for the individual as well as society at large. In other words, duality in all its appearances. In the poem here, heaven and earth point to a certain mind state, a sense of ease or a sense of dis-ease. When we are at ease, we feel light and free and bouncy. When we are not at ease, we feel heavy, dark, and limited. Sometimes we may feel one way and sometimes the other, another way. And our likes and dislikes come into play, causing us to grasp onto one and shun the other. Equanimity provides a sense of ease that becomes available only after likes and dislikes have been brought to a complete rest. So likes and dislikes have been brought to a complete rest. I want to hear what you have to say about that, so keep that in mind. 
Anytime we make distinctions based on our addictive preferences, there is a lack of harmony, a lack of balance, a sense of incompleteness in our experience of this moment. Saint San says, heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. And this, in relation to our time, we may say, we, linguistically, we may say something is off. Right? We may refer to it as something is off. So, what does that mean? Where are we at with it? Well, how do you feel about this? Oh, Shusa, please, um, open it up. This is something I, specifically what we, you mentioned about should. Um, things should be this way or that way. Or, and the, the suffering that comes from that discord between things as they are and things as they should. Um, I struggle with it because I feel like there's often been times in history where you could look at them as like hinge points where things as they should be represent a greater alignment with reality versus things as they are. Mm -hmm. And there's a breaking point that takes place that allows alignment to really open up for mm -hmm. us to get into the, the, the field of no choosing, you know, yeah. as it were. And there's power, I find, often in things ought to be different, you know? I think, but where the struggle happens is when we hold on too much to that should. It, there is a struggle and there's a fight, and I think we choose that and move into not choose, you know, it's not a choice anymore to, to try to make this born into reality, but maybe when we hold on to those results too much and it doesn't happen, um, reality moves at a completely different meter than what we expect it to. Mm -hmm. And it might not be ready yet. It might not be cooked. You know? yeah. Or, or yeah. you know, we, we don't know. And, and this is something that I think is very difficult for us to, to handle sometimes. I know it is for me mm -hmm. of like when something I want to happen that I know is going to happen doesn't happen yet or even on a broader structural you know, societal level where it's like, we're ready for this, but mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. Why does this not happen? And we often show up after the fact of the, the you know, the reason kind of shows up well after history has kind of continued to move on. And um, mm -hmm. so this should, I, I don't know, I, I often tried to find, I guess this is the nature of paradox in a way, right? Of, of, um, looking for guidance here on it. Um, we don't cling to the should, but yet the should is very much the energy that helps us gradually awaken to alignment and, and merging. Right, it could be, it could be a, reality. it definitely could be an opening to that. Uh, it could be also a trap, but yeah. there, is, there is another question there, right? So, so should is relying on I know. So we have to look at that, right? So yes, there is a should, but the should doesn't appear out of nowhere. The should, before the should, there is I know, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise there will not be a should, right. right? If I don't know that it should be this way, then there is no should be this way. Because yeah. if, I, if I look at, examine the I that thinks it knows, mm -hmm. and I dissolve that, or I let go, open up that, right? then the should naturally 
dissipates, mm -hmm. and then what's uh, the I and reality become merged, as you were saying before, right? So the should can be an opening, but what we need to do is look back at mm -hmm. where, what gives birth to should, yeah. to, to, to thinking and speaking in such a way. It should be, how do I know? Right. I think, in, and this is maybe less choosing and more discerning, I guess, is because it's also not just that, but it's also about um, discomfort mm -hmm. and, and things of that nature. Of like, we actively don't want to be um, engaging in things that are uncomfortable right. or don't come easily or don't flow. And when we hit that resistance, it's hard to discern whether or not to kind of power through because this is your body right. getting in a deeper alignment or is it this is not I'm actually like hurting you know square peg in a round hole kind of right. situation I, right. I don't know I, right so, so what's affirming so often what's affirming the should is my state of being right so if I don't like something mm -hmm. then it should be different if I like it it should not be different <laughs> right it comes back to that yeah. right so so how do I how do I discern I discern based on my feelings, thoughts and feelings, highly unreliable, yet I fixate on that and make that the, uh, basically the, the, the parameter, right? Mm -hmm. right? Because I am hungry, I am tired, I'm irritated, I'm whatever, therefore it should not be this way, yeah. right? Rather than looking at the one who is hungry, tired, irritated, upset at disease, whatever is going on. I'm looking at, no, this should change. Right. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to examine my, my state of being. You change. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here, sitting here, complaining about you until you change. Right? Mm -hmm. Th that's the misalignment. Right? So, and that's what we have to look at. What gives birth to? So when he says, that's why I mentioned that before. He says, uh, equanimity provides a sense of ease that becomes available only after likes and dislikes have been brought to a complete rest. Mm -hmm. There is something there, very important, right? What does it mean to bring likes and dislikes to complete rest? Yeah. I think it, I'm sorry. No, Flip a coin. Go. Um, I mean, I was thinking about the decision making because, I mean, uh, what Wukan is, is, is saying is like, how, how do you know? You know, how, how is the, the decision making of, um, how do I, I align myself with something I, I really have a lot of discomfort with? You know, and I, and I you know, what you just read is, is about that. It's like, when you drop in everything, you know, at the end of the day, it's like uh, one of the Suzuki was saying, is there's only do or not do. So at the end of the day, it's, it's like you just saying, okay, I'm gonna power through, or I'm gonna go different path, mm -hmm. or I'm gonna do nothing, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, it's not the doing that results from the situation that is the issue. It's the issue that you, you fight that decision making, you know, by kind of not dropping that, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do this, but I still don't like it, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and that is kind of what is, is trapping us um, a lot more because it's, it's like you're still kind of thinking about the process as, okay, this is not how it should be mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Um, 
So th that's kind of what it reflected to me. It's like when you're dropping both of them, like uh, I, I don't exactly know, the paraf I'm paraphrasing what he says there, but, but you're dropping everything. Complete rest. He said likes and dislikes are brought to complete rest. Exactly. So w w when that complete rest happens, and it's, it's very, I mean, not like it happens often, but when, when, when that happens, um, the decision making is very clear. It's just that you know, there is nothing to, you know, like, there is no fighting it. There is kind of just kind of, oh, okay, yeah. peace, you know, and, and it even, you know, and, and I don't know how, how it feels. It's, it's, it's a very interesting enough. It's very open. It's like we discussed last, last week. Mm -hmm. It's very relaxing. It's very, um, you know, you feel at rest even though you may not enjoy what you're doing. Um, you're not the one making the decision that's why I feel at ease because the burden of decision making is actually not on you I think that I think that is exactly and there is ease with that that comes with that right so reality in a way makes the decision life makes the decision and you give life that place to make the decision so in a way you step out of the way to merge with the way Right? Yeah. Then, then there's no, because but decision happens. I, I feel like, I feel like uh, that's, I mean, at least for me, um, the decision making process is where I get trapped into Dukkha situations more. Mm -hmm. You know, every time I need to decide something that it seems like very complicated to decide about, mm -hmm. because I mean, like, I, I don't like any option. Right. You know, and, and the options I have, I, I don't like any of them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that is kind of where, or, or I don't know what the results right. would be. I'm uncertain, yeah. and I don't believe it. Um, that's when that's when most of my personal dukkha comes. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not sure about everybody else, but you know, like that's where it comes from. So you know, you're right. I mean, when when you can synchronize and let life decide for you, um, yeah, it feels better, way better. Yeah, well, it's not more than that. It's actually nurturing, right? So there is ease, but there is also nurturing, right? When this happens, because you're nurtured by life. You're not arguing with it. You allow it to nurture you because it wants to nurture you, right? That's what it wants to do. It wants to support you, not based on your likes and dislikes. Yeah, it's what you need. Yes. And, and, and that's an interesting thing because it's like, okay, so, so this, this thing that I don't like, it, it's something I need to understand. I need to participate. I need to, um, maybe not, there's a not teaching. Yeah. Not at all. There's a teaching. You actively engage. You're actively aligned. You're actively um, communicating. There is communication. Right? And reflection. There is, all that is there, right? It's not numb, it's not be like a piece of wood. Yeah. But there is constant alignment or, or flow merging. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about other things too and I was kind of forming out. Um, I was going to say before that, you know, it's when you know, equanimity and equanimous feeling comes from 
being equal or balanced um, and finding that balance helps to heal whatever is imbalanced. And so when you attach yourself to an imbalance within yourself, um, kind of becomes a barnacle on you and it kind of shaves constantly on you and grates on you. And when you let go of that, you can just let everything be balanced where it is and, and equal where it is and find that center. So I was going to say that. Right. Yeah. It grates on you, right? So that you know. So there is that uh, expression of, of feeling of you know. It is. It is something. Okay. So there is reality, and then it is hitting against something. What is it hitting against? Right. That's the question, right? Because that's, or that's the solution or the opening, right? It is hitting against something, which means I am taught at that moment reality is teaching me something right because it is it is bouncing against something some pain well what is it where is it show it you know back to the beginning right you know huike bodhidharma huike seng chan right show it not to me show it to you what is it what is the barrier that says i don't like this or says, I like it. It's still a barrier. I like it is a barrier as much as I don't like it. Well, Equally world, barrier. Well, in this world, it's, it's kind of a separateness. Well, that's what I say. Any duality, heaven and earth, refers to any duality. Any two create heaven and earth. It doesn't matter on which side of this you find yourself. There is a gap. Gap equals pain. Unity. Gap equals pain. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Any, any separateness, any duality, heaven and earth are infinitely set apart. I, I was reading in some other faith or ministry or something that the, the ultimate sin was the separate, separation. That yeah. We started to feel with each other. Exactly that. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, also, Zoom, if you want to speak, please go ahead. Uh, are you muted or? Shoulds 
come from a sense of I know how things should be, um, and we're and we're relaxing and uh, stepping away from the should, then uh, what what is this harmony? It's just something that you understand when you experience it. Is it something that when there is disharmony, how do you know? And this comes into the knowing of, oh, if I respond in this way to this moment, then I'm going to help things be more in harmony. Um, so are things less in harmony already, or is it just realizing everything's already in harmony? And you should never do anything. Obviously, there's there is a sense of taking action and and responding to the moment, but like. When things are not in harmony, when things are in harmony, there's just a question to throw out there. Right, so harmony is a, is a made-up word, right? So what we need to look at is the separation, because when there is, when, when there is no dukkha, there is harmony. When there's no creation of dukkha, there is harmony. We don't know what it is in the same way that when you're moving, you do not know the fundamental constant principle. You do not know harmony because there's no duality. You can't know harmony because you and that what this word is referring to are non-dual. So when we sit and ponder harmony, we are creating a gap. This whole verse is actually creating a gap. So when we speak of harmony from the outside of harmony, trying to figure it out, we are maintaining the gap, right? So uh, this is, again, back to that question of moving, right? What is the fundamental constant principle moving? What happens when, when moving? You don't see, you don't know, you don't hear, you don't taste, you don't touch the fundamental constant principle. It's the same, exact same thing with harmony. Because in harmony, there's no one there. So we're not here to discuss, when there's harmony, we're not discussing anything. Because we are so trapped, we have to discuss stuff. But, um, but it's, it's looking at the way we create the gap, rather than looking at how do we harmonize, right? So never mind that, because it is our, it is our endowed, we are endowed with that. So that's not in question. We don't have to go seek for realization. We have to stop getting in the way and creating dukkha. So then our entire practice is examining how I create dukkha, examining my own reactivities, because my reactivities are telling me what I need to work on. What makes you fly off the handle is the question we all need to work with. What is it? What triggers you is the question, because that's the way to what we call harmony. Rather than, yeah, never mind that, but how do I get to harmony? Well, then what are we doing? Practice. Right? So we, have to, we do have to reframe it or unframe it. We're not looking for anything that's not here. So thank you. Uh, anyone else? Yes. So um, picking up on this little dialogue, mm -hmm. um, so as we're practicing, we're not yet living in a um, totally enlightened state where there's no picking and choosing. See if they can hear there's you. There's no picking and choosing. So we do this. There is discernment, as Mikan said. So, 
So what is harmony? We do notice, or we can notice, what it feels like to be in a state of more ease and rest. Yeah, that, that we can sense, right. We can sense... And that gives us a clue. You know, uh, let, let's take, for example, you know, a period of Zazen, right? That you feel um, at ease in Zazen, right? When you feel at ease in Zazen, it is not about what was, and it's not about what will be. It's not because, you know, after Zazen, you're going to get what you were hoping you're going to get, for example, right? Or you're going to have a great lunch or a great dinner or whatever is coming up later, Right? And it's not because you've accomplished something before you said Zazen, right? So you are just at ease. How? It almost doesn't make sense. Because that at ease is, is outside of likes and dislikes. Yeah. Isn't it? It feels, for me, since I don't often experience it, but sometimes I do, it feels like grace. Like it just came. Yes. And it's just delightful. Right. But that will not come if you did not have the capacity to experience it. Right. Ever. Right. You will not experience what you can't experience. Right. And that is telling you, telling us something. Mm -hmm. Because it's within me. I cover it up. Because I get caught up. I get distracted. I create dukkha. That's why we have to look at the way we create dukkha rather than how do I get, find my way back to that? You never leave it. You never lose it. You cannot find your way back to that because you're always that. But we do get distracted. We do create a lot of dukkha, a lot of drama, a lot of reactivities. I don't like it. It should be different. You should be different. I should be different. Yep. So that's, that's the gateway. Thank you for that. Uh, you smiling? Do you want to? See? You don't have to say anything. <laughs> no. uh, it, it seems that harmony is there's nothing left over. There's no parts that aren't included, and, right. and certainly the, the the conscious experience of harmony is is it from the past. I mean, while you're experiencing harmony, it's not you don't think of it as being harmonious. And there's kind of this connection with focusing with when you talk about parts that um, it's not to to get rid of parts, it's to include all the parts. Right? And in this <coughs> heaven and earth um, relationship, um, particularly coming out of Taoism, mm -hmm. heaven knows all the parts and, and <coughs> on earth we tend to separate the parts and think that some parts are more important than others. Mm -hmm. So it's that bringing that sort of heavenly um, consciousness that um, all the parts are connected and related mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. included and the experience of all of that together mm -hmm. um, seems to be what we've been talking about as harmony. Right, so, so to include is to stop rejecting because everything is included, yeah, well, right? Picking and choosing is, is that. some parts don't belong, or I don't like those parts, or, yeah, that I'd really like to have this part. We had some apple dessert last night, which I would have really liked with the chai tea. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but that's picking and choosing and saying some parts are better than other parts. Right, so the merging 
absolute and relative, right? Two arrows meeting in midair. This is the precision of practice, right? So we are creating two to understand unity, right? So that's why you're saying, you know, although there are no two realms, right? We are creating as if there are two realms so we can arrive at two arrows meeting in midair. Yeah, it's all traditional. Right, but, but it's skillful. It's very skillful, yeah. right? So, and it works, right? So, so the, the, uh, the analogy of moving from the center, right? In the center, there is that natural merge or merging between absolute and relative, heaven and earth, right? From the center, it goes up, and from the center, it goes down. Right, so it's open to heaven and it's grounded in earth. So when we move from the center, we don't move from the head. We don't move from the, from the mind, from emotion, uh, reactivity. We keep going back to the center, which is our practice, right? Zazen is your way back to the center. When you rest in the center, you realize unity. Because it includes all it Because it includes, exactly. That's the exactly. Yes, so resting, it's a, it's, it is a, a point of, as Sigurko mentioned, it's a point of rest. You did, right, mention? Okay. Um, I think one, one um, aspect that has to do with all this, the truth and uh, what we're talking is, is the time aspect. You know, it's um, kind of a now, like you were saying, like in Sassen, when you're feeling like at ease, it's not about the past, it's not about the future. And the shoot is always in the future, and you know, like there's many. I mean, we get trapped a lot with kind of futurizing things, mm -hmm. you know, and and the coming back. I mean, and the reality is in the now. It's never in the future. It doesn't, it, you know. Even reality maybe doesn't know the future, you know, and um, so so it's it's our tendency to futurize to kind of create that. I would like to have something that I don't have because in, you know it should be better if I have that, and um, you know I, I think it's good with the, the you know kind of that merging dynamic merging that we were talking mm -hmm. you know in this and then also all the time studies we were working on kind of how how the, it all encompasses into how how do we meet this particular moment instead of kind of. Um, making it up about the future moment where something happens or the past moment, you know, and that's just what you mentioned. That. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, then we're going to move on. Quick point of something about talking about this reminded me of the talk that Rezan gave a couple months ago, um, or was that last time? No, I can't remember where he was talking. You're talking about invasive species of plants. Oh, and, and, you know, there's something here that I see about that of going removing invasive species mm -hmm. feels like rejecting. It's, is it taking in account of all the parts in some way, shape, or form? Because by removing the invasive species, you're recognizing it, an equilibrium that exists and that by taking it out of there, it actually opens up flourishing for everything else. But it's not a rejection either. So I don't know, I've always, I mean, we touched on it when we spoke on it, but I still kind of struggle with it of like, it is for a better merging experience to remove the invasive species from that place. However, it wound up there is kind of irrelevance there, but um, there, I think there is still a skillful recognition of the life of that invasive species and, and the place there. So I guess that 
Yeah, I don't know where it is. Well, the completeness yeah. is not, is not, uh, is intact. Right. With or without invasive, there is no, we call it invasive species because we think this should not eliminate that. Right. That's duality, right? You know, that's, there is the invasive and then there is the species we want to survive, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want that species to survive, we want this one to survive. This is from our limited yeah. human perspective. But in reality, it doesn't matter to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because the unity is intact. Mm -hmm. We don't like it. Well, well this is, you know, we like these trees, not, you know, we don't like those bugs. So they eat that trees we like, and therefore the, the, the good guys, the bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. That's in our mind, which is fine. We should, we should, we do it, we do it. But the point is, what we're talking about has nothing to do because it's before we decide that this is invasive and this is not. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I, I think that's a clear, very clear point. It's like you can still act on to whatever you think is the right thing to do, right. but that doesn't, that doesn't make it righteous. Right. Like what we're trying to do is to make it righteous. Mm -hmm. To make it like, oh, this is how the only way it should be. Well, that the knowing becomes fixed. Exactly. Becomes and, uh, and something stable. We believe this is the right way. Okay, so we act on that. You know, and, and that belief doesn't necessarily, you know, needs to be, you know, static or, yeah. you know, or, or righteous. We moralize it a little bit more. Than I, I, think, I think that is the problem we're having a lot of society. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we get righteous about whatever we think is better. Mm -hmm. So, so there may be right, right? So right may be there to work with, but righteousness or becoming self-righteous is a whole different realm. That's, that becomes fixed, right? So we can say, well, you know, this is the you know, right living, for example. What is right living? We can talk about that, right? Wholesome living. As long as we understand that's what we're talking about. But if it's like, no, no, I know what's right and I know that you're wrong, then we are moving into a whole different realm. Then we become uptight. It's not open anymore. Yes. Because you don't know. So let's, uh, anybody on Zoom want to say anything? Oh, yeah. Kako. Yeah, I was going to chime in. So um, I like the, the phrase from last week of choiceless awareness. So I, I think it's a lot, it reminds me of our, of, you know, when we um, did the Jukai three weeks ago and got our Dharma names. Like it's the difference between responding, or like responding to the world as David or as Kakuo. Um and it seems to me it's a, it's a, a lot to do with the personal like ego kind of identity um, and when we move into this realm of not good not bad um, we still react to things but without it's impersonal right it's, uh, it's impersonal there was like I think I I can't remember where I heard this phrase, um, to see the world with eyes unclouded by longing. Um, right. And so that, that seems to me what it is. It's funny about the invasive species thing. That's a thing that, you know, like world events, whether it's invasive species, global warming, hurricane, the election, like many people and myself respond like emotionally. I think the first thing is like, Oh my God! What's going to happen to me? You know, but then you can you can look at um, this um, you know like a, some kind of um, sometimes these invasive species and especially with insects and beetles different things it's it's catastrophic I mean it's really really bad 
So, you know, global warming, whatever it is. Um, so then I think I'm thinking about how to look at things that are objectively speaking, you know, destructive. And I think it's a similar to, you know, if somebody is dying or, if, you know, compoundering our own mortality, it's like, we can just sort of accept it without, uh, without an ego identity. And maybe we can work to, you know, do something good for climate, whatever. Uh, maybe there's nothing we can do, or we can take it on ourselves to do whatever we can. But it seems like the thing is to approach it without the personality, without, without uh, like ego identification. And that's what, it seems like that's what it means to see it non-judgmentally. Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, so it's not so much without as much as with a dynamic personality, right? Mm -hmm. so, so a dynamic personality is constantly in a, in a state of merging, right? So willing to, to go with what comes, willing to examine, right? So it's not static, right? So now you, uh, it's actually good uh, what the uh, suggestion to look at the name, at the Dharma name versus the uh, given name, birth name, right? It's actually good because... You know, you, you come into the practice with a name, right? A given name, and the name may be static or may represent something static in you, right? And then you're given a Dharma name, which is representing something dynamic, right? Dharma name. So it's not fixed. And the question uh, is, how do I merge those two, right? So I don't jump between this and to that, right? So I don't go from here to here and then back. Because, and that is our responsibility, right? To merge to take the Dharma name and to merge that with the given birth name, right? So then maybe it can infuse some life uh, into, or inject life into your, into David. Yeah, right, it does. I mean, the fact that it's my, my name means awake or awakened response is, is very significant. I, I want to come back to the invasive species, though. Like, how do we respond to things like, you know, drought, uh, uh, catastrophic climate occurrences, invasive species, destruction of, you know, animal species, plant life, all these things, like, how do we collectively, or we without, without the ego, without our fixed identity, respond to these catastrophes? Well, you respond from a place of compassion, right? So you respond from wanting to protect, wanting to be of service, right? Not not to protect the individual a part of others, right? So you respond from seeing the totality, rather the individual outside of that totality, right? So how you respond, well, it, uh, you can respond in many ways, and that's not what we're trying to do now, right? Of course, you can respond in many ways, but look at what is initiating the response, right? Look at what it is that we're trying to protect, right? Look at what's cherished in that response, right? Also, you. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to uh, move on. Uh, but one, one more comment. One more comment. Uh, unless somebody on Zoom needs to, or wants to talk, then if you do, please. Okay. Sure, I'll just say thank you, Kako. Those were really helpful, um, really helpful um, comments. I think there's a difference between like the shoulds and then like moving into an upaya kind of a compassionate um, uh, like uh, stance of, uh, if you will, of, yeah, just and back to Sashin and, and our work with the neutral, like the stance of neutrality, 
you know, to 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 bring um, compassion, compassion and awareness um, to the moment. Um, I struggle with these same very same questions of the should and everything too. I, it's an interesting time to be studying this text in, if you want to call it Earth, like in, you know, in our country and and all of this uh, with the election just happening and. I, I, I quickly get swept up. So I just, um, I appreciate this conversation. It's challenging. Um, and I just wanted to share, share that. Thank you, Asa. And Meishin? Um, yeah, I, I was just like um, piggybacking off what Kako has said. Um, I think it's taking us off on a bit of a tangent, but with, um, with our responses, it's interesting like, that coming from a place of non-ego and viewing the world, um, and acceptance of the world as it is, but then it's so tough when there is apparent evilness and oppression of people, abuse of people, and how we respond to that. And it just sprang to mind um, Mahatma Gandhi, <clears throat> how he responded to that. Um, I, mean, I don't know what was in his head, but just from like non-violence, and he created massive change, huge change, and um, from from doing practically nothing, like from doing very little, they, that was the whole purpose. It was just amazing that how much change came about from um, kind of non-doing, if you like. Um, it's just something that sp uh, sprang, sprang to mind. Thank you. So, so this is actually a good example expression of unity, right? Uh, inclusiveness. What, what he didn't do is reject, right? He did not reject. He did not actively reject anything or anyone and that inclusivity, inclusive, inclusiveness created fertile ground for change. It was opposite of, of what we most, most times we do, we reject, right? So not rejecting, right? Now, uh, we, we call, we say evil, right? So um, the, to understand, this is a challenge for us, right? To understand that even with that, there are no two, right? So I'm life force and I am destruction, right? Uh, is a way to see that. I am life force and I am destruction. So within me are those capacities at all times to do good or to cause harm, right? The capacities are there. Even when I do good, the capacity to do harm is there. And even when I cause harm, the capacity to do good is there. It, it's not, it doesn't go away, right? The capacities are there. The question is, what are we obeying? Where are we moving from? If I move from the perspective of the small eye, there is a higher likelihood that I will cause harm. If I move from a larger perspective of inclusivity, then there's a higher chance that I will do good. And no guarantees, but, because there's karma playing in the background, but still, there is a higher likelihood of doing good or bad based on where I'm moving from. So, thank you. Okay, one more and we move on. There's a distinction which I think is important to make to a bunch of this discussion, including what Kako was saying. Um, there's <clears throat> something perhaps that we can call by nature, and there's other things that we can call by human beings. Um, there's man-made or human-made elements to our environment which have a questionable relationship to what nature, whatever that might be, is. Global warming being one example of that. Um, an invasive species, the name I think is a bad name. Um, it should probably be something like humanly determined where they're going to grow species. Um, so invasive species in the United States are, are plants that came, come from somewhere else in the world that human beings brought to the United States 
and put them in places where they don't naturally grow and therefore are behaving in ways which um, have questionable relationship to something which might be called natural. Um, and this is a problem, I think, in a lot of our experience, is what have human beings brought to the table and make it look like that's the way that it should naturally be? And what does nature bring to the table? And it's sort of the, the dharma organization that we have to come to understand better in order to be able to succeed. Um, so invasive species, certainly the title is a very poor choice of words in the current situation. Um, but it's a real question about um, you know, the way that we have intentionally manipulated our planet and uh, which one of those ways are ways that are going to be ultimately inclusive and fruitful and which ones of those ways are ways which are going to ultimately not be inclusive and start throwing away parts. Right, so, so, so I, th I think we need to uh, go a, a step back from that and recognize that, e that all our actions are the way the nature expresses itself, including our harmful actions, including us going against. It's all That's also, so, so even there, we cannot create a duality because you say, well, there is you know, the natural way of things and the unnatural way of things, but that's how nature expresses itself as well through our harmful uh, behavior. So we can't say this unnatural. Well, it may be unnatural in the way, again, from our limited perspective, but from a larger perspective, all of it is an exp different, exp are different expressions of the same one reality. All of it, including us trashing the earth, including going against, going for and going against are both expressions of the same one reality. That's the tough part for us to swallow. But that doesn't mean that because that is true, therefore, because it's a natural process, we have to continue trashing the earth. No, no, we have to do, we have to do what we have to do based on, of course, we have to you know, listen, we have to look, we have to pay attention. And then within that, we, that's the point, right? So we allow something else in us to determine the direction we go, right? So that's the larger perspective. So when we think in terms of unity, then naturally, of course, we would want to protect rather than harm, right? So we ask, how do I protect? What's the best way to protect this environment right now? Then we move in that direction. But within that, we have to be careful not to create new things to reject along the way, because that's our natural tendency. Okay. <laughs> well, we have we have to we do have to move I was on. But say, humans are part of nature too. No, we are expression are of the same reality. And also, you know, I mean, I'm not saying we should trash the earth, but I am saying that it's happened before, where species from all the way across the world came over here without us. Other animals. Then some species go extinct. Yeah. So, th what does that mean? If a species goes go extinct, what does that mean? other than this species no longer, other than, maybe you should say it differently, our, our reality is no longer manifesting itself through in that form. That's all we can say, because that's the only thing. Anything apart of that is just our own adding. But the fact is, reality can no longer manifest itself through that species. 
In the same way, when a person dies, we can say reality no longer manifests itself through that person. Reality is fine. It's just no longer going to manifest through that person when the person dies. But reality keeps going. It doesn't have preference. Well, I want to manifest through that person. And now I'm bummed out that this person dies. No. It keeps going. I mean, we're getting really close to a point of incredible tension. Right? <laughs> and that tension is, you know, it is all reality. It is all nature. I mean, that's absolutely true. And then, um, do we just accept? I think we need to that? No, no. We move. We move the way we need to move. Yeah. It's yeah, just that it, it, what it does, it allows for space. Then we can move in a much more relaxed way. I think we need to be careful with words like industrial. <laughs> no, because I hear, I hear catastrophe, and it's like it's already embedded in the decision that this is bad. We, we don't even know if it's bad or not in the grand scheme of things. We don't know. I mean, we may be bad for know. us, but we don't know. No. We don't know if a hurricane is actually a catastrophe or not. And like, mm. It's bad for us, yes, but it's a catastrophe on the big scheme of things. How, how do we define catastrophe? So. I mean, yeah. I understand we use the word catastrophe for, for communication, and, and it's fine. I mean, I, I understand that. What I'm saying is that we shouldn't hang up on kind of the, the, the way it presents like evil, you know, like or something that is like already predefined as something that we don't want. It's something we yeah, I brought that in, you know, I brought it in. I just have to try to, I, I use the word catastrophe, and I think that that use of that word was not in conjunction with the profound principle that we're talking about. So I would say, like, may it please the court, let that word be struck from the record. <laughs> uh, 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 no, uh, no, yeah, I, I shouldn't have brought in the word catastrophe. He wasn't because you're right. right. That's not what we're going for here. But it, but it, it, it is... Uh... It is within our vocabulary, and that's why it's good for us to examine, right? So it's not about I, I said or I didn't say or I should have not said. That doesn't matter. What matters is that we have to examine our vocabulary in terms of thought and speech and then ask, you know, what does it represent? When I say this word or when I hear this word, what is it triggering in me, right? That's what matters, not who said what. So there is a, there is a larger way to uh, have uh, conversations, right, and communicate in a way that actually we can learn and open up, right? Because it's never about a single person, right? So we bring in what we bring in to, because we can't avoid it. And the question is, what are we learning from that? So the, yeah. the, the, li the, line, the line after that, so to, per to perceive reality as it is, is to live with an open mind, which I think is taking care of a lot of those what we just talked about. So, and then he says, certain wise teachers have pointed out that despite all the claims to the contrary, most human beings don't really wish to see things as they really are. Which is very true, right? Because this truth is threatening to one's cherished structure of beliefs, a threat the likes and dislikes, a threat to the likes and dislikes that we have worked so hard to put in place and through which we gain our sense of identity, right? This is, this is the parameters of likes and dislikes create me, but therefore they are cherished. Uh, we only want to affirm, he says, we only want to affirm our 
pre-existing ideas or prejudices about things, not deconstruct them. And this is what this is the task of practice to deconstruct, not to add more to what was already constructed. This is part of the root cause of dukkha, our sense of anguish and alienation. It is always there underneath like a well spring, whether we are consciously aware of it or not. So the line, if you wish to see the truth, can serve to expose any pretension to spirituality, any desire to fulfill good solutions that don't require having to give up, often painfully, the construct of our self-identity. It's a very good point, right? So we, 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 we sit here, we talk about all this, but we have to examine, even in talking about this, my self-cherished ideas have a lot to say. And they're going to jump up, wait a minute, that's not what I meant, I meant this. What does it matter? Right? You misunderstood me. We have to, yes, we, of course, we have to clarify when, when time comes to clarify. But it's not about clarification because underneath that there is a desire to protect, which we always have to examine. So you know, our reactivities are great teachers because they're showing us that what we are trying to protect. They're also showing us the way out. I'm trying to protect something. You just said that to me and this is wrong and this is right. What does it matter? What does it matter? Is the question. Right? It's not about, well, people heard me and now I have some points, you know, I, I can check off some boxes here or I was not heard and therefore I lost something. I lost an opportunity. There is no gain. There is no loss. What the hell am I trying to protect? What am I trying to protect? We have to ask that question. So the line, if you wish to see the truth, can serve, as he says, to expose pretensions to spirituality. Because it's easy to pretend that we are practicing spirituality. Or to practice spirituality, spirituality to a point. I've, no, no, well, I'm not willing to give up that. Let's play with spirituality. Let's amuse the mind. But this is very real. So, uh, who didn't speak yet? I think uh, Kojin didn't say anything, so how about if we open it up? So, this entire conversation is picking and choosing, right? Mm -hmm. We are supposed to chat children for picking and choosing right now. We can't help it, you know that. Mm -hmm. So, when I live from a perspective of not knowing, I feel, it's, I feel my life is much easier to live. I feel um, all of those words that people have brought up, you know, equanimous, um, you know, harmony, whatever words that you want to use. But fundamentally, it takes the pressure off because, you know, Roshi, you said that life makes the decision for you, so you don't have to worry about that. But I think when you come from a perspective of not knowing, all there is is this now, right? So, and all we can do as people, the only choice that we actually have is how am I going to respond to this now? So, and that's why 
you know, the Jukai students, this should resonate with you. That's why you receive the precepts, right? The precepts are a sort of ethical and moral framework within which you can come from a perspective to decide what it is that you're going to do now, right? So, you know, an example, you know, the people in Ukraine, right? They're at war, right? So some people will decide to take up arms, right? Other people will decide to take their families and move to another country, right? Which is right, which is wrong. There, there is no right or wrong. It's just the choice that that person had made at that time, right? So when you encounter something from a perspective of not knowing, it frees you up to choose what path you want to take. Because the idea that we don't pick and choose is just wrong. Because we're always picking and choosing, right? It's coming from a perspective of a discerned acceptance. And the discerned acceptance is, this is happening now, right? So what am I going to do? What's my next step? And when you come from that perspective, there is no right choice, there is no wrong choice. There is that choice. There is that choice that you make. And when you come from the perspective of the precepts, the precepts help you determine a choice that may be more compassionate, that may come from a perspective of you know, being more helpful to other people and to yourself. So the idea that we're not picking and choosing, I think people have to maybe put that aside because we're always picking and choosing. It's just, are we picking and choosing from a perspective of not knowing and opening ourselves up to using the precepts as the upaya that they're meant to be? Right, so, so the, the state of choiceless awareness does not mean be blank. <clears throat> it does not mean you don't, there are no likes and dislikes and there are no, there is no picking and choosing. Of course, there's always picking and choosing, otherwise we can't move, right? Otherwise we're paralyzed. Uh, it has everything to do with attachment too, not the act itself. It's the attachment that creates the dukkha. Not, I mean, you, you know, you, you, I'm going to make a right turn versus a left turn. Of course you have to, otherwise you're not going to go anywhere. Go, right? It's the attachment to right versus left. It's also the attachment to the right as opposed to the left. Right? So my choice versus other choices. So I can make a choice and then lament for 10 years about that was the wrong choice or the right choice. Or I should have done something else. Right? That's because I'm creating in my mind opposite or opposites or other options. When you go right, that's it. There are no other options because left is included. When you go left, same thing. Then every step is a complete full step. Every step is a complete full step because the time and the being are non-dual. You just express yourself. You go this way, you go that way. You sit down, you get up. You go to sleep, you wake up, you take a shower, you have coffee. Of course, all the time. But every step is a complete step. So where are the gaps? So if every step becomes a complete step, then heaven and earth are unified or experienced as unified. When there is another option in my mind, then I am disconnected. Then there is a gap between heaven and earth. Right? So picking and choosing, yeah, choose wholeheartedly or die to every choice. 
die to every choice. So another way to say that. And, you know, but I also think it's very important because in, it's how we choose, it's how we discern the choice that we make, right? And what perspective are we coming from, from that? And, you know, are you coming from, you know, the kind of perspective that's a totally selfish perspective? Right. Right? That will, you know, sort of inform the choices you make. Do you come from a totally... You know, do you come from the perspective of the precepts? That will inform the kinds of choices that you make. But I, I think, ultimate, fundamentally, the point is that it's more liberating to approach things right here, right now, as they're happening. Um, now, obviously, we have to plan. Planning is part of living. Right? We have to plan. I want to go straight, but I can't go straight, so I have to make, you know, these kinds of things. But... To, to fixate on something so much that you have something in your mind that, that it goes back to the should concept. You know, things should be this way. Well, okay, yeah, they should be that way, but they're not. So what are you going to do? Right? And, and what are you going to do is the only question that I think we should be asking ourselves. What are we going to do now? What's the next step? What's the next thing? And I think the, the only way, at least for me, the only way that I can live in that space is to come from the perspective of not knowing. That I don't know why this is happening, but it's happening. So what, how am I going to do it? What am I going to do? Okay, go ahead, quickly. Yeah, I was just thinking, and it was just helping me actually, um, uh, being in music so long, especially loving orchestra music the way I do, um, that in music you're taught that it's not, it's not about right or wrong, it's about resolving dissonance. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing a piece of music, you have no choice but to play this piece of music because all the notes are laid out in front of you. Here's the plan, here's the story. And now this is happening, now that is happening. You have all these different voices and everything, and they're interacting with each other. It's all different, it's all very creative, very expressive. And then there's a dissonant note. And you're not gonna keep playing that dissonant note throughout the whole piece. It's going to be resolved with everybody else and you have no choice but to resolve the dissonance. So I was just thinking that that's actually really helpful for me, mm -hmm. um, what Kojin was saying, and, and Daikyo before, and just, just resolving, not thinking of something as, and getting attached to something as a catastrophe, I think that's what you were saying, right? Mm -hmm. Not getting attached to it as a catastrophe, because then you're attached to it, and it's your focus, instead of resolving, how can I resolve this dissonance, which is what Kojin was saying, right? About moving on with it mm. and not having um, those attached thoughts about I have to move right or left. The next, the next line may clarify that. So yeah. let's do that and then we can uh, see if we have time to discuss. <clears throat> Intrinsically perfect like the great void, without lack, without excess. In choosing to grasp or reject, one is blind to suchness. Don and Jordan, when the lens you look through reflects your personal bias, your view of reality is clouded. It's very clear. Uh, and then Muson, ever since we started using our neocortex and its associated language-based selfing, we have carried on chatter within ourselves. The nature of the internal chatter is to proliferate itself in ever more complex ways. 
Prapancha in Pali is the, is a wonderful Buddhist word for this proliferation, proliferation. It does not matter what the source of Prapancha are, what the sources are. The fact remains that proliferation keeps the engine of internal chatter going on at all times. We can attest to that, right? Degrees of sanity or insanity depend on the volume and intensity of the internal chatter. In the case of a person untrained in the Dharma, this internal chatter, especially when chattering about what I like or what I don't like, is the disease of the mind. The internal chatter creates a feedback loop in which selfing feeds upon itself and creates an ever more complex pro proliferation, like a virus infecting all parts of the system. That's very clear, isn't it? Right? It's very well put. Now, look at what's going on. In, this is good because what we have to do is examine that internal chatter, not stop it, but look at it and then step away and just allow it rather than try to stop it or uh, fall in love and identify with it. Because we fall in love, which last time it was brought up as an addiction to ourself. We are addicted to, but what are we addicted to? Or, or how is this addiction uh, maintaining itself? Is What he's saying is through that chat, internal chatter. The prapancha is how it maintains itself. So again, back to Zazen, what do we do? We, we just look. We see the mind saying this, the commentator saying this, I like that, I don't like that, they should have listened to me, they didn't listen to me, and oh, they did listen to me, how great is that, or whatever is going on, right? It's constant. But it's me, 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 me. Constantly. One word, me, in many other words. It's all about me as opposed to you, or a part of you, me, a part of reality. That's how we stay disconnected. So if we look at that and we step away and we uh, uh, release the, the grasping uh, hand a little bit, then we naturally find ourselves merged. We don't even know that we're merged, but we find ourselves merged. It's that internal chatter that we take so seriously. Right? Why? Because this is where I find myself. If it's not for the internal chatter, who the hell am I? I don't know. I don't know is the answer. And I can't know. Therefore, I'm going to stop trying. I don't know who I am. I can't find, figure this out. Well, great. Then there you are. There you are. You're this. Right? So, so you don't create anything. Right? You don't appropriate a self. Then you are everything. When you stop thinking you're something else, you, you realize you're everything. So. How about starting with you guys? Anybody wants to say anything? Yes, Kansui, good morning. Good morning. Um, it feels like this 
text is like a psychological experiment <laughs> that dredges up the things that kind of trigger you. Um, after last week, I was thinking <laughs> about the things that were coming up for me when we were uh, discussing this last Sunday, and I realized it's not so much about, um, for myself, it's not so much about um, being triggered, it's about what's coming up in the trigger, like identifying the things that are causing me to feel the way I feel or see the world the way I see. And uh, this seems like, I told Rishi this week, it seems like uh, someone makes my soup up. I mean, the, the soup is already there. It's already made. Um, I may not like all the ingredients that are there, but it's nourishment and I'm gonna drink it up. But um, yeah, I just feel like this, this text is really interesting. Even the, the, the name of it, Trust in the Mind, we're not supposed to dwell what comes up for us, but at the same time, it's telling us to trust <laughs> whatever's coming up and to observe. But yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. So, so just to uh, tie it back to what we talked about last time, so the mind, it's the one mind, right? So it's not brain. It's not what comes up in the brain, obviously, right? It's included, but this is referring to the one big mind, right? Everything is included. There's nothing outside. The good, the bad, the likes and dislikes, the, the realization and getting trapped, all of it is within that one mind. So in that one mind, nobody knows anything about anything because it's one. No. No. Thank you. Uh, anyone else? Yes. I, I guess uh, just two brief comments. The the most helpful thing for me coming out of last week was the uh, addiction to preferences. Yes. Um, that phrase has been so helpful in just the moments. You know, just noticing, oh, I have an addiction to this preference. So if I let that go, I'm back to that place which we've talked about of, of not knowing. Um, th that was one thing. And the other thing that kept occurring to me is we are an invasive species. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what do we invade? <laughs> We invade all kinds of things. You know, we invade uh, our, our, the mind, our minds, we invade, it, it just, when we talked about human beings as a part of nature, right. that just, I don't know, just beginning to examine how, how we are an invasive species. Right. Thank you. So we, at the end of the day, we deceive ourselves. We steal from ourselves, right? We close the eyes and we deceive ourselves. And, and realizing that we deceive ourselves, we awaken and we... Do less of it. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Hey, just quick, um, you know, all the, a lot of the discussion kind of since the talk of catastrophe up into this moment, I keep thinking about the line in the Sandokai of within darkness there is light, but do not see it as mm -hmm. light. Within light there is darkness, but do not see it as darkness. Because I often see it as... 
many people lean towards certain types of personalities. Sometimes they swing back and forth between them of, I can, me personally speaking, I can sometimes fixate on some of the darker, more troubling and, and painful elements, not necessarily gravitating towards it because I'm a dour, depressive person, but I almost see it as like I'm trying to correct whatever the narrative is to get a bigger picture of reality because mm -hmm. we don't get to choose that. But then you fixate on the bad of like all this, everything could go wrong. I could step out my door and get hit by a tractor trailer. I could, you know, choke on my food. I could do all these things. And you look at statistics and to kind of Cogent's point of not knowing, I think it's, I think a lot of studies show that um, increase in data does not lead to, uh, is not proportional to an increase in predictive power. Of like the more information you have, you think you're getting more prepared, but you're actually not increasing that which you think you're preparing for which mm -hmm. is a better response at a certain point there's just knowledge saturation and it just circles back to just not knowing anything and um yeah just not latching on to because then the mm -hmm. other side of the spectrum is like people that i might call naive or they just go like the world is great everything is awesome mm -hmm. we just have to believe in the power of positive thinking and stuff and you're leaving off all of the horrific suffering and uh things that take place all over the world and uh but don't not attaching to it not mistaking it as either or but learning how to take it all in and not make a decision not weigh in on it per <clears throat> se of just recognize it see it right so so learning how to bear witness yeah right so bearing witness is is something very important right to look at to understand um there are many ways to bear witness mm -hmm. There, are bearing, there is bearing witness from the outside and there's bearing witness as one with. Mm -hmm. It's a different uh, experience. Anyone, anyone else on Zoom? Yes. Um, just briefly, I, back to the text, I am I, I, finding it helpful, this line, um, in, in choosing to grasp or reject one's line to suchness. The, this, so to shift a little from love and hate to grasp and reject that was helpful for me because I think we you know for one I got a little tripped up by like you know having to you know relinquish the idea of love but um perhaps hate as well but um but but grasping is very that I can understand and that is I think what we've all been trying to kind of grasping and rejecting is I think that's what we've been trying to get at today so uh, the text helps us here, I think. Right, so, right, thank you. And so it's say, basically saying that uh, the blindness to suchness is created, right, in the mind. So the attachment creates the blindness to suchness, which is actually saying that suchness is always available, right? It's not, we have to go look for it. Again, we have to examine the barrier that we create and then we, then we can't see. It's not right or wrong. It's just, this is the way it is. What am I learning? What am I learning about myself? Right, about my own creations, right? So I create. Now, the creations are real. They're not, not real, right? You know, it's, well, I'm not making this up because this and this and this happens. It's true that this and this happens, but what about the way I am moving through that? How do I meet that? 
So, anyone else uh, that uh, did not speak yet on Zoom? Anyone else here that did not speak yet? Yes. You did, though, but um, that's okay. Yeah, From what Fushin just said, um, everyone invasive species, um, what I was trying to say before is we're responsible for our behavior and that in, um, in dealing with the moment, it's dealing with the karma that we've created from the past and also the karma that we would create in the future coming out of whatever our current behavior is. Mm -hmm. um, so it is true that we cannot act in any way that's not natural, um, but certain ways of acting are going to be um, more or less um, productive of a karma that's going to be better for the world than at the moment, um, than other ways might be. Right, so, right. So, so to move from a sense of inclusivity, right, then it allows for compassion to act in, in, in ways that are going to nurture, obviously, in much more, right? And if we move in, in a contracted way, we are going to move as separated from and therefore will create more suffering and more harm. So within that, we have, right, so... We can say, well, you know, there's no, there's no picking and choosing. Within no picking and choosing, now we can choose well. If we understand that there is no picking and choosing, actually we can choose well. Right? But, but what we're talking about in this, you know, in this poem is we have to get to that point of understanding that there is no picking and choosing. Then go do something. Right? As, as they're saying, you know, Okay, now that you understand you're a Buddha, roll up your sleeves and do something. How do you express Buddhahood is the question, right? So, and that's what we need to be doing. So, there is nothing, now there is something, right? So, if we don't understand that A is not an A, then A becomes a big deal, right? Because A is not an A, A is an A. It's the no that has to first come Right, we have to acknowledge that no before we go to the yes. Mm -hmm. Then, again, we are less likely to, keep, to cause harm. That's why we go back to no. That's why mu is so important. It's not, it's not a negation, right? It's totality. Then, okay, well, do whatever you need to do. Act from a different perspective, right? Again, perspective of unity versus perspective of separation. And that's healing. Okay. Uh, last chance on Zoom, if you want to say something. Or you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks. Okay. Thank you. We're going to uh, stop here and then keep going the next time, whenever that is.
nostra 